In the name of the one true God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It was a hot summer day. I was a freshman in college. It was summer. I was working two different jobs. I was working as a camp counselor, and then I was also working for Precious Moments Chapel as a tour guide. Um, this was back a few years ago when they first opened, and they had a lot of tours going every few minutes, for those that might remember that. As was my custom as a college student, um, I liked to stay up as late as I possibly could and get up as late as I possibly could. And so I was zooming to my job as a tour guide without breakfast. I thought I better eat something because I had a full day ahead. And so I stopped at the convenience store on the way and I grabbed three Twinkies and a Dr. Pepper. So I downed them as I was driving. And about the time I got in front of my group to do the tour, the sugar hit me. And I was hilarious. Or at least I thought I was hilarious. Or at least the people laughed at me because I thought I was hilarious. And I was animated and I was coming up with new stories and I was um, getting the people to laugh and I greatly enjoyed myself and it was a wonderful tour. In those days, the tours were about 40, 45 minutes. And by the end of the tour, as I was walking back, I started to feel down, kind of depressed, not so great. Now, why was I feeling like that? had nothing to do with my day or anything going on. It had to do with the sugar that had hit my system and then had gone down in my system. So I had a sugar high, then not a sugar high. Today I want to ask you how you're doing. How are you doing? No, I mean really. Really, how are you doing? Because how many know that usually we just say fine and keep walking? One of the things I learned years ago from a, another counselor is that when someone says fine... Sometimes what they really mean is, if you take the letters fine, it means frustrated, insecure, neurotic, and emotional, right? And that would be a more accurate appraisal of the feelings. But I should say, when I ask you how you're doing, I really do want to know how you're doing. And so if we don't have time at that very moment to unpack that, then you can tell me, you know, pray for me. You don't have to tell me what it's about. Just say, say a prayer for me. Or just say, let's talk later. Because I want to know. I really do want to know. Today we're going to talk about feelings, because feelings are important. And you see, we can get caught up on one ditch over here or one ditch over here and be unbalanced. There are some followers of Christ that ignore their feelings and think that feelings should have nothing to do with following Christ. But there on the other camp, there are some followers of Jesus that are completely ruled by their feelings. They believe anything that their feelings tell them. Now today, we're talking about feelings from our psalm reading in the lectionary, Psalm 13. David was writing, and David said, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I've prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. But I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he's dealt bountifully with me. Now Psalm 13 begins with the subscription to the choir master, a psalm of David. 
The psalm was written by David and was used in corporate assembly. Though David speaking about his own personal experience in the corporate setting, the first person pronouns, I, me, and my are used, which causes the corporate gathering to speak not just what David went through, but kind of making them personal. In other words, how long uh, are, have you left me alone, O God? You know, first person. David said, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? See, David was depressed in three different ways. He was depressed in thinking about his relationship with God. Second, he was depressed with himself for his feelings. Do you ever get depressed because you have feelings of depression? It's kind of a vicious cycle. Thirdly, he was depressed when he thought about his enemies. How many know that when you do the right thing, you still can have enemies? Depression can come for a lot of different reasons. There are some people that just have a genetic propensity towards depression. There are some that get depressed because of some physical issue, like maybe a surgery or something that throws their body out of whack. Some get depressed due to unbalance and overwork. Some get depressed after a letdown. The letdown, uh, you put a great bunch of effort into something and you're all excited and then the adrenaline goes down and you feel depressed. I had a counseling office for about seven years and there was a period of time where I had three different situations of depression. Um, I regularly had people with the first situation that came to see me because they were struggling with some issues and so they were feeling depressed. And so what we would do is work through the issues and eventually that would help the depression. I had two ladies that came to see me, wonderful Christian women, about in their 50s. And both of them came at different times and both were dealing with depression. And as I talked to each one of them on two separate occasions about the same time, they were depressed. But as we unpacked their lives, there was no reason for them to feel depressed. So you know what I did? I sent them to their doctor and their doctor found they had some hormonal things going on, which helped their depression. And then about that same time, I had a teenager that came to see me. See, I did a lot of Christian counseling, and he had a spiritual problem, and so we sat down and talked about his spiritual problem, and that helped his depression. You see, the depression was coming from several different things with several different people. And David in this psalm says, how long? In fact, he repeats this question no less than four times. When we're going through something, don't we want to know how long? We want to have some semblance of control in our lives when we see things out of control, don't we? God's timing is perfect timing. But doesn't mean it's not hard, right? Our emotions during unsettled times in crisis can take off in many different directions. Now, I need to tell you that emotions are not bad. God created us to have emotions. Emotions were affected by the fall, and negative things happened after that. Exposure to negative emotions, pain, and distress is just inevitable in our fallen world. You see, today, after the fall, emotions are distorted. Though every emotion has its proper place, emotions can be expressed in inappropriate ways. Emotions can deceive us into going against the will of God. They cannot be completely trusted. Emotions can lead us into confusion and bring chaos rather than clarity. Emotions were designed as good and helpful, but sometimes they can harm. 
Sometimes our emotions cause us to see even good things as bad things. We look at something like godly instruction and discipleship, and it's difficult, and so our emotions can tell us to avoid that. How many know the adage, no pain, no gain? Do you know that applies in the spiritual realm as well? We have to go through tests in order to have a testimony. You see, if life is easy, then you don't have to go through anything. You don't learn anything. Emotions have a tendency to cause us to focus on ourselves rather than focus on God. Don't you know what I'm going through? Humans were created to have positive emotions. We were meant to be in tune with God in a relationship of loving trust. After the fall, inconsistency and split occurred. Today, Christ is our model for emotional health and function. In our culture, we throw out terms like dysfunctional and toxic, right? Yes, yes, those are both true. As a former counselor, we would say every family is dysfunctional at some point in time. Some longer than others, some worse than others. And every one of us in this room is toxic sometimes, if we want to use modern terminology, you see. That's why we need forgiveness. That's why we need grace and mercy. Dr. Alan Aram came to one of my classes when I was in my graduate program for counseling, and he said something that was kind of life-changing for me. He said, Jesus is our standard for mental health. He said, holy behavior is healthy behavior, and healthy behavior is holy behavior. So he said, your standard for what mental health is is Jesus Christ. So if we study his life, we'll know what we're supposed to do, what our standard is. And we know that Christ experienced all the same emotions that we experience only under the authority and control of God and in submission to God. He experienced joy. He experienced compassion. He experienced anger, sadness, grief, fear. He also expressed these emotions, again, appropriately. He experienced them in full. Now, David in the psalm felt like God was hiding his face. Now, as a Christian, can I say that? Can I say that I feel like God's hiding his face from me? I mean, I must not be very spiritual if I think God's hiding his face, right? I must not doing something right. I can't tell my fellow Christians that. What's the deal? You'll find that it's very reasonable, very normal for a child of God to go through difficult emotional times during their faith journeys. St. John of the Cross in the 16th century coined the term dark night to express this stage in our spiritual growth. The dark night of the 18th century mystic St. Paul of the Cross apparently lasted for 45 years. Do you want some more examples? Charles Spurgeon, who preached to approximately 10 million people in his lifetime, often speaking 10 times a week, struggled with depression. Mother Teresa, one of my faith heroes, in a letter to a spiritual confidant, wrote, Jesus has a very special love for you, but as for me, the silence and the emptiness is so great that I look and do not see, listen and do not hear. The tongue moves in prayer but does not speak. I want you to pray for me that I let him have a free hand. About three months later, on December 11, 1979, she was given the Nobel Peace Prize. Her missionaries of charity had grown from a one-woman endeavor to a global beacon of outreach. 
Martin Luther once wrote, For more than a week I was close to the gates of death and hell. I trembled in all my member. Christ was wholly lost. I was shaken by desperation and blasphemy of God. John Calvin said, Surely while we teach that faith ought to be certain and assured, we cannot imagine any certainty that's not tinged with doubt or any assurance that's not assailed by some anxiety. I appreciate what Pope Francis said. Who among us, everybody, everybody, who among us has not experienced insecurity, loss, and even doubts on their journey of faith? He even said doubt's an essential part of the faith. He said if one has the answer to all the questions, that is the proof that God's not with them. It means that he's a false prophet using religion for himself. The great leaders of the Bible, like Moses, have always left room for doubt. You must leave room for the Lord, not for our certainties. We must be humble. It's not trust unless it's trust. And trust sometimes is hard. There are times in the life of every Christian when walking the Christian walk by faith, God seems a million miles away. You're trying with all your heart to do everything right. Saints, sometimes this is exactly why everything is hard. You see, if you're not really doing anything, there's no reason for the devil to mess with you. But if you're trying to make a difference to those around you in your own way, then you become a target. And so sometimes things are tough because you're where you're supposed to be. David said, How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Spurgeon once proposed a sermon on one of those phrases, how long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? He suggested that the sermon would be called self-torture. It's cause, curse, crime, and cure. Can you remember a time in your life where you experienced these same emotions as David? Perhaps you're going through something right now that feels like you're self-torturing. Verse 3, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I've prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. David said, consider me. To consider means to gaze intently upon. David did not feel like God was looking at him. Do you ever long for God to consider you, to gaze intently at the situation that you're going through, and to do something about it? David asked God to light up his eyes. You see, in all these emotions, David wasn't hopeless. He'd felt negative emotions before. He knew God was God and had always been faithful. His emotions said one thing, but deep down he knew something else. You see, God called David a man after his own heart. He cried out to his God, enlighten my eyes. David prayed a prayer that would be good for us to take to heart. We need the light of God to shine upon us and to give us wisdom and knowledge, no matter what our situations and problems are. We should ask God to light up our eyes, in other words, to see things from his perspective rather than our own perspective. Paul prayed to have his eyes enlightened. He prayed that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened 
that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in all the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Verse 5, David says, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. One key word in there. He's dealing with all these emotions, and then the important word comes, But, I have all these emotions, but... I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he's dealt bountifully with me. He says, my heart shall rejoice. The word heart is used here figuratively for feelings, will, intellect. In other words, the heart is the center of everything. David is saying to God, despite how I feel, I trust in you with all that's in me. David has hope and trust because of Yahweh's, in the Hebrew, has said, translating here as steadfast love. In the original, this word is deeply rich in meaning. The main idea is God's unchanging covenant love for his people. The term um, connotes loyalty or enduring allegiance, not emotion. In other words, God doesn't feel love for you because of an emotion, because emotions come and go. God feels a love for you because he made that commitment, a covenant which can't be broken. It's a love that will not let go. In fact, a love that cannot let go. In other words, God loves you because God loves you and there's nothing you can do about it. Isn't that awesome? We see this same kind of love in Jeremiah 31.3. God says to his people, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. The word faithfulness, again, is said, that same Hebrew word. Before David was flooded with his emotions, now he anticipates rejoicing in God's deliverance. In Psalm 30, verse 5, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. David says, um, I will sing to the Lord, for he's dealt bountifully with me. Now, why is he vowing to sing to the Lord? Because he knows that it's going to be okay. There's someone sitting in the congregation today that might need to hear, it's going to be okay. Doesn't feel like it right now, but it is going to be okay. Now notice at this point, David's circumstances hadn't changed. But he changed the way he was thinking, and he gave it to God. Sometimes when you give it to God, your emotions are still doing their thing. And so you make a choice and say, God, I need your help to give this to you. Because I don't feel like it. And you give it to him. He remembered God's perfect love for him that would never fail. Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. David remembered that God was aware of his situation. In Psalm 139, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. David remembered that God was a good God 
Ephesians 1 verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And he also remembered that he was important to God. In the book of Isaiah chapter 49, But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me, and my Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. See, I've inscribed you on the palm of my hands. Did you ever think about that verse? What God is saying is he tattooed your name on the palm of his hands. If I tattooed your name on the palm of my hands, you see, I work with my hands all day long, even though I do a sedentary job. And if I do physical stuff, I... Same thing, I see my hands all day. So even if I didn't really want to think about you, I couldn't help but think about you because I'm always using my hands. And God said, I couldn't forget about you. I tattooed your name right here so that that won't happen. We can't leave this message with a little thought about how do we help a fellow Christian who's going through something and they're experiencing all these emotions? Well, first of all, it's okay to feel the emotions. As we're saying, it's okay to feel like at that point God's a million miles away. He's not, but we feel like that. It's okay to feel all those anxious, depressed, you know, you fill in the blank thoughts. Sometimes what people need is just for us to go and love them. And we've got to be careful about not trying to just say something quick to try to fix it. When my first wife passed away, one of the things that made me frustrated was I got a lot of texts from a lot of Christian friends that would say things like, Derek, remember God has a plan. And can I be honest that I really wanted to punch him in the face? I knew God had a plan, but right now I missed my wife. How about this one? God needed him in in his heavenly choir. Don't ever say stuff like that. That does not help the situation at all. I did a sermon one time on things you shouldn't say at a funeral. And I'll give you the synopsis of it. Maybe don't say anything. Just love them. One of the things my brother-in-law did after my first wife passed away is he came over and for a little while he just drove me around. In other words, he would just say, I'm driving. And I didn't really catch what he was doing until later, but he knew that my emotions were so messed up that he should be driving the car. And so that was a great act of love for me. People that came up and just said, I'm so sorry, that's what helped. Sometimes you just got to sit with someone and let them be and you be and just let them know you love them. No great answer, because sometimes it just doesn't make sense but you have a God that loves them. In closing, in one Native American culture, there's a rite of passage of manhood. And what you have to do as a young man is you get blindfolded and you get taken deep into the forest. And then you sit down and then you're left there blindfolded all night. You have to spend the night sitting down in the middle of a forest, blindfolded, hearing all the sounds of the forest, not knowing what possibly could happen, not knowing the situation, being completely out of control. 
In the morning when the blindfold's taken off, the boy discovers that his father was sitting just behind him where he could watch him all night. Nothing was going to happen to him. He was being protected. He just had to trust. God's right behind you. He doesn't leave you even if you don't know it, even if you have a blindfold on. He's never going to leave you. His love can't stop. Let's just remember that today, okay? Amen.